You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to our conversation today. This special podcast episode is a presentation supported by and created on behalf of Lilly USA LLC. The podcast presentation content has been reviewed for consistency with FDA guidelines and is not approved for continuing medical education credit. This podcast is not an endorsement for any specific medication or therapy modality. Our guests today are Thomas C. Blevins, MD, endocrinologist at Texas Diabetes and Endocrinology in Austin, Texas, and Deirdre Ibsen, platform team leader for insulins and devices at Lilly USA LLC. Dr. Thomas Blevins is a paid presenter for Lilly USA LLC. And now, here's your host, Chad Wars. Hello, everyone, and thanks for being here today. I'm Chad Wars, the Chief Executive for the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists. Today, we will be discussing a condition for which the treatments and technologies used to manage it have been evolving for more than a century, diabetes. More than 10% of the U.S. population has diabetes, and the prevalence of diabetes has grown over time. Managing the disease is demanding, and at times it's stressful for those with diabetes, their caregivers, and their healthcare professionals assisting them along their diabetes journey. Due to the complicated nature of the disease, many patients with diabetes fail to reach their treatment goals. But new technology and treatments have recently become available to aid in the diabetes management and to help patients further manage and better control their glucose. Today, we will discuss some of those technological advancements and how they may be of benefit to patients with diabetes. Now I want to introduce our first guest who will help us understand more about the history of diabetes and its management, Deirdre Ibsen the platform team leader for insulins and devices at Lilly USA. Thanks for joining us, Deirdre. Thanks for having me. I'm very glad to be here to discuss this important topic. It's one that's very near and dear to my heart. Well, Deirdre, can you provide some details on how the management and treatment of diabetes has been evolving over the last 100 years? And maybe talk a little bit about the management and monitoring of the disease first and then head into treatment. Absolutely. It's a good place to start. Since the 1800s, a large amount of effort has gone into fully understanding diabetes and quantifying glucose in the body. And I think you know, the first thing that uh, we should probably discuss is glucose monitoring. I mean, it comes down to this. If you can't test something accurately, if you can't see actually how it's trending up or down over time, how can you ever hope to control it? And this is a fundamental concept that we've understood from the very beginning. So it makes sense that many of the advances in diabetes care related to testing. The first actual commercial urine tests for glucose was developed in 1908, which allowed us to measure glucose for the very first time. This approach was used for half a century until 1965 when the first blood glucose test strips were developed for in-office use, really only as a semi-quantitative assessment of blood glucose. In the 1970s, an in-office blood glucose meter was released, and the use at at-home blood glucose monitoring was actually pretty highly debated. But by 1980, the first at-home blood glucose reader was released. And from the 1980s to the 2000s, blood glucose meters were improved upon even further. 
Despite these improvements, measuring glucose without the patient relying on finger sticks was something many were exploring as the next advancement in monitoring blood glucose control. By 1999, continuous glucose monitoring, or what we call CGM, further revolutionized how glucose was measured by providing real-time glucose levels to users and treating physicians. However, the first CGM devices did not eliminate the need for blood glucose meter readings and required frequent calibration via finger sticks. The sensors were worn relatively short term and there was limited connectivity with smart devices, thus requiring patients to carry an extra receiver, setting up the need for better design than further refined CGMs. I think it's interesting. As a pharmacist, uh, I probably knew a little bit more about the history of treatment and history of insulin than I did about glucose monitoring. So that was really fascinating. So can you now talk a little bit about how diabetes treatment has changed over time? Yeah, absolutely. You know, while measuring and monitoring glucose was evolving and being optimized for at-home use, how to manage and control glucose and ultimately treat the symptoms of diabetes was being researched in parallel. Really, before the 1920s, patients with diabetes had a short life expectancy and were very likely to die from their condition. But in 1921, Dr. Frederick Banting and his assistant, Charles Best, began researching glucose control in dogs whose pancreases had been removed. And in a lab that was granted to them by the University of Toronto's Dr. John McLeod, they actually injected dogs with a pancreatic extract, which we know as insulin. And the dog's glucose levels responded and went down. After this breakthrough, Dr. James Collip was added to the team to help purify the insulin. Banting and McLeod would win the Nobel Prize in 1923 for being the first to discover the only known treatment for diabetes at the time. And a very interesting side note, actually, was Banting was pretty upset by the fact that Best was left out of that honor. So he split his winnings with Best, and then McLeod followed suit by sharing his award with Collip. Lilly got involved in 1922 when they signed an agreement with the University of Toronto to actually figure out how to reliably manufacture on a large enough scale the insulin that was needed around the world and then further commercialize that insulin in the 1923 timeframe. This treatment increased life expectancy and changed the lives of patients with diabetes. In 1949, a delivery device, a standard syringe, was introduced allowing patients to inject their own insulin. The standardized syringe reduced dosing errors and the associated episodes of hypoglycemia and hyperglycemia. I don't think a pharmacy student or a pharmacist in practice has not heard about Banting and Best. Um, so it was interesting to hear on some of the other people that were involved as well. So what about insulin itself? How did it change after that initial discovery? That is a really great question. Um, you know, we have to remember that initially all insulin was from animals, not humans. But in 1982, rather than rely on an, an animal source, a process for harvesting insulin from genetically altered bacteria was developed that produced natural human insulin, which we know as humulin. This reduced the amount of allergic reactions from animal sourced insulin and became a standard way to harvest insulin, proving to be a huge scientific advancement. Next came fast acting insulins in the 1990s. These new insulins were designed to be taken before a meal, specifically to control the glucose resulting from that meal, further enhancing diabetes management for patients. 
It's also important to mention that just as the insulin itself was being modified and improved upon in the way in which the insulin was delivered was also advancing during this time. Prior to the mid-1980s, patients had to measure and draw their own insulin into a syringe from a vial to inject it. This required many steps, such as mixing the insulin, drawing air into a syringe and injecting it into the vial, checking for air bubbles in the syringe before injection. It was a complicated process. Additionally, patients had to carry around all the supplies for vial and syringe insulin, and, and it, it was an inconvenient um, process for the patients. But in 1985, the first pen-style insulin delivery device was introduced, combining the insulin with a reusable injection device. These devices could fit into a pocket or a purse. You actually dialed up a dose versus manually drawing the insulin out of the vial. Over the following years, pen devices were improved upon for design, dose accuracy and increments, and memory functionality. Then in the 2007 to 2008 timeframe, pre-filled insulin pens were introduced, making it even easier for patients to deliver insulin. Through these advancements, insulin was able to better fit into the everyday life of a patient with diabetes. Well, thank you for that interesting history. And, you know, I tell my kids that when I was in grade school, I had to walk uphill both ways in the snow to get to school. And it makes me think of all the history that we've had just with diabetes and the fact that we have come a long way in what kinds of uh, syringes are available. And it's improved a lot over that time. So let's talk about what that means to a patient or from their perspective. Um, I'm going to introduce uh, our next guest, Dr. Thomas Blevins. He's an MD and an endocrinologist at the Texas Diabetes and Endocrinology Center in Austin, Texas. And he's going to talk about the current unmet needs in the diabetes community. So welcome, Dr. Blevins. Chad, good to be here. Let's talk about the current unmet needs in diabetes care. Despite all this evolution in the monitoring and the treatments that we've discussed, what are the unmet needs that remain for patients? You know, Deirdre, so clearly you pointed out the improvements in diabetes management and all the new developments, yet there still are unmet needs. Perhaps due to the complicated nature of the disease, many patients with diabetes fail to reach their treatment goals Data from two registry studies showed that only 21% of patients with type 1 diabetes and 48% of patients with type 2 diabetes meet the A1C goal of less than 7%, and that is the target A1C recommended by the American Diabetes Association. This is eye-opening. Even so, it's important to consider that there is more to assessing diabetes management than A1C which many people listening may understand is a three-month average of overall blood sugar control. The A1C is important, but it doesn't give us insight into day-to-day -day glucose fluctuations. Guidelines recommend that we consider things other than A1C alone, such as postprandial glucose. And I'm going to mention during the talk, I'll call that PPG at times. And also, guidelines suggest that we consider time and range. Now, PPG is something you're going to get from a finger stick, and time and range is something we're going to get from continuous glucose monitoring. But we're going to talk more about that. Understanding the clinical significance of these measurements is ongoing, but the latest available tools to measure these parameters are helping physicians understand diabetes and glucose control beyond just A1C. 
So we've kind of talked about this evolution, not only in, in therapy, but also in monitoring. And these tools are something that continue to add value and help us innovate and better take care of our patients. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of these latest tools? Sure. CGM, or Continuous Glucose Monitoring, has been studied and improved upon since its approval in the 1990s. Today, CGM is recognized by both the American Diabetes Association and the American Association of Clinical Endocrinologists as an important part of diabetes management for patients with type 1 and type 2 diabetes who are on insulin therapy. Using CGM, we can more fully understand a patient's diabetes control because it gives us much more than A1C. The ambulatory glucose profile, or AGP, provided by CGM provides a summary of glucose levels throughout the day for the past two weeks without the need to wait three months for an A1C. Using CGM, we can see time in target range, time in hypoglycemia, and time in hyperglycemia, which helps us, the clinicians, and the patients, too, make more informed treatment decisions. CGM has additional benefits. When compared with conventional blood glucose monitoring, the use of CGM has been associated with decreased A1C, enhanced treatment satisfaction, improved quality of life. That's important to patients. It's important, important to treating clinicians. And also more time and range with CGM can, can be achieved. And fewer episodes of severe hypoglycemia have been seen in many studies uh, looking at CGM. These benefits have been observed in a wide range of patients. So the evolution of treatment and the evolution of monitoring um, have really put us in a position to look at those things together when we come to a strategy on how to take care of patients better with diabetes. And currently, there's a collaboration that brings both of those advancements to the forefront. But before we get into that collaboration, and since we're talking about continuous glucose monitoring, Dr. Blevins, can you tell us what Dexcom has been up to recently? I sure can. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, something I'm particularly interested in sharing is a recently approved professional CGM device I'm excited to be able to offer to my patients. It's called the Dexcom G6 Pro. It was designed to eliminate some of the concerns with earlier CGMs, such as frequent calibrations and shorter CGM sessions. It features a disposable, accurate sensor that is easily inserted and is worn for 10 days. The Dexcom G6 Pro eliminates the need for finger sticks since there is no need to calibrate with this device. It's important to note if your glucose alerts and readings from the Dexcom G6 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter and do a finger stick to make the diabetes treatment decisions. The Dexcom G6 Pro is available in both blinded and unblinded modes, which is unique among CGM devices. When we talk about blinded mode, we're referring to the option of having a patient's sensor glucose readings downloaded and reviewed by the healthcare professional after the session is over. During the session, patients can't see their glucose readings while wearing the sensor in blinded mode. Blinded mode is great for patients who may not be as interested in following their glucose patterns on a daily basis, and some patients really don't want to do the finger sticks and they don't want the continued feedback, and so the blinded mode is really good for them. Dexcom G6 Pro allows a greater range of patients to experience Dexcom G6 Pro 
even if they are not as actively involved during the session. The Dexcom G6 Pro can also be used to assess glucose variability. Now, in unblinded mode, and I think we're going to be using this quite a bit, patients with a compatible smart device like a phone receive real-time glucose data and alerts and alarms, high alerts, low alerts, alarms, while wearing the device. The customizable alerts for high and low glucose are available, as I mentioned, so patients can take corrective action as, as needed when they see the results and when they get the alarm. Unblinded mode provides insights into how different foods and exercise affect glucose, and trend arrows provide context for glucose changes and, and aid in predicting glucose highs and lows, too. Patients with uncontrolled type 1 or type 2 diabetes, including those with high A1C or those with hypoglycemia unawareness, people with glycemic variability, are all appropriate patients for the Dexcom G6 Pro. Other patients who may benefit are those without insurance coverage for personal CGM, and they can, they can use this device for a short period of time and it's more affordable, or patients lacking regular self-monitoring of glucose. Some people just really don't want to do it, and this really helps us get some insight into what's going on with their control, and also helps them get insight, and, insight into what's going on with their control. And also uh, other patients who may benefit are patients concerned about their glucose levels and patients looking to optimize their diabetes treatment. Additionally, the Dexcom G6 Pro is a good fit for patients who would benefit from personal CGM, but who are hesitant to wear a device. And this is a good way to introduce them to CGM. And we use it like, like this uh, very often. The Dexcom G6 Pro can familiarize these patients with CGM to begin the process of transitioning to personal CGM if they, they desire to do so. You know, listening to that whole description just reminds me that, you know, we're living in some challenging times, and it's been important that physicians and clinicians uh, be innovative and remain flexible and adaptable to the changes that are occurring with their practices and with their patients. Um, and, and these kinds of things sound like things that can be helpful when you're dealing with patients that might be isolated, that may not be uh, accessing care as frequently as maybe they were before the pandemic. Can you talk about how patient care has changed during this time and how continuous glucose monitoring like the Dexcom G6 Pro can help? Oh, I sure can. And Chad, I agree with your comments. It, it's fair to say that the COVID-19 pandemic has made us rethink patient care considerably Patients may be afraid to come in and see us. In some cases, their anxiety is very high. They don't want to leave the house. They don't want to come to the office. They, they don't want to get exposed in any way. And so uh, using this G6 Pro approach can be very helpful. Given the current global health crisis, not just here in the U.S., it's important to note that the Dexcom G6 Pro can be effectively utilized in telemedicine once the sensor is inserted during an office visit. So the person has to come to the office to get the sensor placed, then they go home and they get the feedback from the Dexcom or they wear it blinded. And then we, we can have them stay at home, we can gather the information and we can actually make interpretations and therapeutic changes. With that in mind, let's talk about an additional app from Dexcom, which is called Clarity. In unblinded mode, once patients accept the sharing invitation from the provider, 
this app makes data available for the provider to view at any time during the G6 Pro session. Now, typically, we're going to view it at the end of the session and look at the entire uh, download and make interpretations and therapeutic changes, but sometimes we might want to look at it sooner if the patient notices something in particular. Our practice has used this app extensively when, when using telemedicine. It's very usable. We can download it over the internet and we can look at it in our office. The patient can stay at home. Okay, Dr. Blevins, thanks for that info on Dexcom and the Clarity app. Now I'd like to ask you about the other half of what we've been talking about, the therapeutic side. As many of you know, Eli Lilly and company has a very long heritage when it comes to insulin. Dr. Blevins, can you describe recent developments or news from Lilly related to insulin therapy? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Back in June, the FDA granted Lilly approval for Lumjev U100 also known as insulin Lispro AABC, as a rapid-acting mealtime insulin for use in adults. Lumjev has a fast onset and short duration of action. It's a formulation of insulin Lispro with excipients added to speed absorption. In pharmacokinetic studies, Lumjev had fast absorption and appeared in the circulation approximately one minute after injection. Due to its rapid-acting formulation, Lumjev can be taken at the start of a meal or within 20 minutes of starting a meal. This is different from Humalog U100, Insulispro injection, which is dosed within 15 minutes before a meal or immediately after a meal. And it offers one-to-one -one unit conversion when converting from another mealtime insulin. Lumjev is contraindicated during episodes of hypoglycemia and in patients with hypersensitivity to insulin AABC or one of its excipients. Lumjev met A1C non-inferiority endpoints in its treat-to-target clinical trials compared with Humalog in patients with type 1 and type 2 diabetes at week 26. When evaluating PPG or postprandial glucose specifically, Lumjev had superior 1 and 2-hour postprandial glucose reductions compared with Humalog, again, at week 26. Lumjev helps control postprandial glucose, giving patients who struggle to control postprandial glucose more for their efforts. The time course of insulin action or glucose lowering may vary considerably in different individuals or within the same individual. In pharmacodynamic euglycemic clamp studies, Following a 15-unit test dose, patients on Lumjev experienced an onset of action of about 20 minutes with a duration of action of about six hours. Thanks, Dr. Blevins. That was a great overview of Lumjev. Deirdre Ibsen, now that we've heard from the advancements of diabetes management and therapeutics, can you tell us a bit more about the goals of collaboration between Dexcom and Lilly? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um... You know, this collaboration was designed really to help clinicians use CGM data to inform uh, diabetes management, including being able to give them the visibility to the benefits of mealtime insulin. Our goal is that this real-time data provided through the Dexcom G6 and the Dexcom G6 Pro will really help healthcare providers help their patients make better informed decisions at the end of the day. They'll be able to measure and evaluate their time and range, and they'll have more visibility to the potential benefits of transitioning to a new mealtime insulin, such as Lumjev. 
This initiative is just the beginning of what we believe will be a very positive collaboration that will further enhance diabetes care and management. You know, it really has taken more than a century of dedicated development to achieve today's advancements in insulin therapy and CGM technology. And I am absolutely confident that through continued collaboration and a strong desire for progress, we'll continue to advance and improve diabetes management and treatment for patients. Over the last 100 years, it's absolutely true that great progress has been made in the treatment of diabetes through improvements in treatments and technologies. And you know, we, we are very proud to offer a wide variety of treatment options for patients with diabetes, regardless of where they may be in their journey with the disease. But we know the fight's not over. Investing time and resources into finding better solutions for people Living with diabetes around the world is still really important, and we have to stay committed to this endeavor. The prevalence of diabetes has grown in the last decade, and so is our commitment to delivering solutions, whether that's from medicines and technologies to the support programs and more. Well, thank you for a great conversation around some solutions that that now are coming to the forefront um, because of evolution of management, because of evolution in treatment, and as well as being amplified by the, the situation that we're in. So I appreciate that uh, very robust discussion on ways we can start helping our patients uh, manage their diabetes better. Thank you for having us, Chad. Uh, it's been my pleasure to be involved. Chad, enjoyed talking with you and Deirdre. Thanks for allowing me to contribute. Lungev Insulin Lice Pro AABC Injection is a fast-acting insulin and is used to treat adults with diabetes for the control of high blood sugar. Humalog Insulin Lice Pro Injection is used to treat people with diabetes for the control of high blood sugar. Do not take if your blood sugar is too low or if you are allergic to any of its ingredients. Do not reuse needles or share insulin pre-filled pens, cartridges, needles, or syringes. Check insulin labels each time you inject. Do not change the type of insulin you take or your dose without talking to your doctor. Rotate your injection site with each dose. Check your blood sugar levels. The most common side effect is low blood sugar, which may be life-threatening. Symptoms may include dizziness or lightheadedness, sweating, confusion, headache, blurred vision, slurred speech, shakiness, fast heartbeat, hunger, anxiety, irritability, and mood changes. Severe, life-threatening allergic reactions may occur. Get medical help right away if you have a rash over your whole body, trouble breathing, a fast heartbeat, swelling of your face, tongue, or throat, or are sweating or feeling faint. Tell your doctor about all your medicines and medical conditions. Taking certain diabetes pills called thiazolidinediones or TCDs with Lungev or Humalog may cause heart failure in some people, even if you have never had heart failure or heart problems before. If you already have heart failure, it may get worse while you take TZDs with Lungev or Humalog. Other possible side effects include low potassium in your blood, injection site reactions, thickening or pits at the injection site, itching, rash, and weight gain. For more information, talk to your doctor. Call 1-800-LILY-RX or visit Lungev.com or Humalog.com. Failure to use the Dexcom G6 Pro Continuous Glucose Monitoring System, or G6 Pro, and its components according to the instructions for use provided with your device and available at www.dexcom.com forward slash safety dash information and to properly consider all indications, contraindications, warnings, precautions, and cautions in those instructions for use may result in your patient missing a severe hypoglycemia, low blood glucose, or hyperglycemia, high blood glucose. 
glucose occurrence and or make a treatment decision that may result in injury. If your patient's glucose alerts and readings from the G6 Pro do not match symptoms or expectations, or your patient is taking over the recommended maximum dosage amount of 1,000 milligrams of acetaminophen every six hours, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. Your patient will not receive alerts and alarms when the G6 Pro is on blinded mode. Seek medical advice and attention when appropriate, including for any medical emergency. Lumjev is a trademark, and Humalog and QuickPen are registered trademarks owned or licensed by Eli Lilly and Company, its subsidiaries or affiliates. Dexcom and Dexcom G6 are registered trademarks of Dexcom Inc. in the United States and or other countries.